good morning again, and good morning online. Thank you for watching with us. Uh, uh, hopefully, if you change your clocks correctly, you have the right live time. Otherwise, you'll, you're going to see this in an archived version uh, a little bit later. Um, uh, anyway, a couple of announcements we get started. We have uh, everything going on as normal as far as uh, we have our Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, for a better way to pray, and uh, there is a change though. We are, uh, for, the, for the meantime, we are temporarily dis, uh, discontinuing our Pasadena Bible study on Saturday night. We're looking for a new location, and so we need a new location for that. Uh, and so uh, we have people who are interested out there, uh, but we just uh, we don't have a location right now. So if you know someone in the area or in location in Pasadena, just let us know. Our contact information is on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. And so anyway, we are looking for a new location for that. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, so, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we still have our Bible classes online. Uh, again, my, our, our website is lighthousediscipleship.org. I'm making a little change uh, for those who have been on it. We've had, uh, we've had a very good response, but we've had some people who have gotten a hard time logging in. And so we're making a change in the login process uh, where it will be hopefully easier uh, to manage that and uh, it's not going to block people out who want to get in. And that, that's not what we want to do. <laughs> we want our people to come in and, and so they'll be able to take classes freely at their own leisure and convenience. So anyway, those of you who have been taking classes, you'll be receiving an email from me within the next couple of days, uh, uh, the new login, so your, eventually your old login won't work, the new login will. Uh, so I'm not trying to confuse anybody, trying to make it easier. Uh, but I'll have an email coming shortly to explain all of that. If you are new, haven't taken any classes yet, haven't registered, it's going to be even easier than it was before. Uh, and so, uh, rather than five steps, it'll be three steps. I want to make sure I have the right fingers up. Uh, three steps in, uh, in the process. It'll be a lot easier. We're going to bypass some steps uh, to hopefully make it easier. Uh, so anyway, I'll explain a lot more if you're interested. Uh, just shoot me an email or whatnot, uh, or text or, or through our phone, and uh, we'll, we'll get with you on that. So, okay? Uh, anyway, uh, I don't want to spend our time talking about that, but there is a change coming for those of you who are taking our free Bible classes. And uh, so, anyway. All right, well, here we are uh, this morning. We're jumping into, I think this is week eight, uh, on our, uh, our teaching on uh, uh, being established in righteousness. Uh, someone asked me this morning, are we are finishing this morning? No, we're not. We still have one more main section to cover, and then I'm tagging on another one, so we actually have two. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, and <clears throat> I was also explaining to our people here that, you know, this is my foundational teaching. When I taught this, uh, when we first started church uh, five, over five years ago, I spent a whole year teaching this, and I, I dialed that in to six uh, six lessons, I'm kind of adding on a seventh one, uh, and so, um, and so I'm, I'm consolidated in that way, but there's a thread of this in everything I teach, because I see righteousness as a foundation of strength, it's the elementary teachings, it's the first principles, uh, we talked about that in earlier lessons, uh, and so I see it as a foundation, if the foundation's not there, then everything we build on that is off, it's, it's just going to be off, and and so there's going to be a thread in there. And I, I notice with my, uh, most speakers, most pastors, most teachers, they have their core teachings, whatever that is. And there's a thread of that in everything they teach. Uh, they might teach on different subjects that uh, seem like they're not unrelated, but it's, a, it's foundational. And so, and, uh, it's, uh, and so 
Anyway, with that being said, I, I will be teaching this over and over again. This class is also becoming a class on our website for our Bible classes that I just talked about. It's every week we've been uploading the, 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 the uh, like today uh, session will be uploaded uh, in our classes as well. So anyway, so we will be ongoing. Of course, we're going to get all these announcements too that I just made, and uh, we can edit that out eventually. But anyway, we good? We good? So I know. Uh, right, let's get into the message this morning. So go ahead and turn with me in the Bibles to Romans chapter three, and we'll kind of pick up where we left off last week. <coughs> Romans chapter 3, and we'll pick it up in verse 20. And just before we start, you know, like I said, I've broken this up into six lessons, and the lesson we are right now, we're talking about the testimony of Scripture, and I'll explain that as we go forward this morning, the testimony of Scripture. This is actually one of my favorite sessions of, of this, so... Uh, Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 20. And then Paul says, Therefore, <coughs> by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21 is really where I want to get to. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being, or being witnessed by the law and the prophets. I want to, trans I want to toggle to... King James Version real quick and read, read verse 21. <clears throat> but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. There's not a lot in the different in the translations there. Uh, I just have my highlights here uh, for those of you who can see it. Uh, and I, I wanted to use that. But now, and I always ask this question, when's now? Now is now. In other words, we can be experiencing what he's saying now. We don't have to wait till we go to heaven. Praise God that we will be with him face to face. He is coming again, and we will be with him for all eternity. But keep in mind, John 17, 3 says, Eternal life is knowing him. Eternal life is not a place. It's not an age. It's a person. It's having a relationship with God. Yes, we are because we are still in the flesh and we're still on this earth but and we will get a new heaven and we will get a new earth and we will get a new body and all that will come and all that's going to be glorious I'm not taking away from that that is going to be awesome but there is a life to live now and there's something to be manifested now uh, there's something that God has given us to enjoy now uh, it's going to get better it's going to get sweeter uh, when we go be with him face to face. There won't be any sin. There won't be any sorrow. There won't, we won't be praying for it to be, be healed. We'll already be healed. There won't be sorrow. There won't be pain. There won't be sin. Sin will be done with. We won't have any of that. That's why we're getting a new heaven and earth. One of the reasons is because this earth has been so polluted by sin. We're going to get a whole heaven and earth that has not been polluted. A whole body that has not been polluted. But, but, but there's a righteousness that is to be manifested now. It's a righteousness of God. It's not self-righteousness. It's not by, that's why it says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified. No flesh can be declared righteous because of deeds. We can't, we can't merit this. We can't self-perform this. It's, it's the, this righteousness that is to be manifested now is of God. It's, not, it's pure. It's holy. It's good. We are... 
to put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It's pure. It's, a, it's true righteousness. And it's to be manifested now. And we spent time on that. We're going to spend more time as we go forward to everything we teach here. But I've been focusing on this last part of verse 21. This righteousness that is, that we are, that is to be manifested now, this righteousness as of God that is to be manifested now without the law, although it's without the law, it's witnessed by the law. The, it's, the source is not the law. The source of this righteousness being manifested now is not of the law. But even though it's not the source, the law and the prophets give witness, give testimony to what we're supposed to be experiencing now, even without the law. That makes sense. Um, you know, when someone's a witness on the witness stand in the, in the court system, they don't, they're not the judge and they're not the jury. They just give testimony what happened to either them or what they witnessed happening. The law is witnessing what is this righteousness that is to be manifested now. It's a righteousness of God. It's not the source. It's not the judge. It's not the jury. Yes, the law is the ministry of condemnation and death, but Christ died for us. Because if we continue to read the scripture, I want to jump down to verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation to faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness, His righteousness, for the remission of sins that are past, to the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, now, His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Uh, anyway, there's a lot here. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't have time to reteach all this again right now. But God has justified us because Jesus became our propitiation, because Jesus became our substitute, and it satisfied the righteousness of God. It satisfied. It, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the penalty for sin was death. Jesus died for it. He took our sin. He died for us. So now, because of Jesus, the righteousness of God is manifested and the law, the law of the prophet scripture, which I'll explain again in just a second, is, gives witness to this. All scripture it gives witness to this righteousness. We're talking about being established in righteousness. But in this section of our teaching, we're talking about how all scripture gives testimony to this righteousness we're supposed to be not only established in, but being experiencing in this life now. Scripture. I've talked about this before, but I want to clarify this and make sure it's clear as we go forward. We believe, and rightfully so, that all Scripture is, all, all the Word of God, New Testament and Old Testament, is considered Scripture. But keep in mind, when Jesus spoke, and, 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 and people of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their testimony of Jesus' ministry, they're eyewitness of that, when, uh, when Paul and the apostles wrote, they will mention Scripture a lot. When they wrote those words, the New Testament didn't exist yet. They were pinning those words. Uh, they, uh, they didn't exist yet. So when they're, when they're saying Scripture, they're referring to the Old Testament. In other words, Jesus 
and Paul and others preached the gospel using the Old Testament. Why am I, why am I saying that? I'm not trying to exclude the New Testament. My, my point is, I'm trying to include the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets is speaking of the Old Testament, is giving witness to this righteousness we're supposed to be experiencing now. And I'm going to use several scriptures today uh, that will validate that from this point. It's not just this scripture, but to me, it beautifies it. I, <clears throat> I didn't understand the old, I used to love the Old Testament as a child because I love the stories. But I, 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 uh, I was a little confused too. But when I started seeing the, the gospel in the New Testament, and I started seeing Jesus in the New Testament, and the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. We talked about that earlier in our, 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 our lesson about how Romans 1, 16 to 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel is the righteousness of God reveals. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And so when I understood the gospel, therefore if I understood the gospel, I understood the righteousness of God, because it reveals it. I began to see not only Jesus revealed in the New Testament, but I began to see him revealed in the Old Testament as well. And I finally began to see that all Scripture points to Jesus. All Scripture points to the cross. All Scripture points to this righteousness that will be revealed. The law and the prophets. And you'll, you'll see the word Scripture used. You'll see the phrase law and the prophets. You'll see one that we'll get to this morning. The law and the prophets and the Psalms. Uh, some will say uh, Moses, some will say, will be very specific, being Old Testament or Old Covenant. And so they're all used interchangeably, but uh, they're all talking about the Old Testament. Because that's what they had. That's all they had. That's the only scripture they knew it, at the time. Uh, but they all give witness to this righteousness that's supposed to be revealed now. Okay? Um, go with me to, real quick, to Hebrews chapter 1. We went here last week, but I want, I want to bring this into... Uh, I'm not going to reteach everything today. But Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 3. And I'll toggle just for easier reading to the New King James. God, uh, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. Again, prophets, that's Old Testament, okay? God spoke to us through the prophets. And, he and the writer of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews. He's writing to the Jews. You know, the Jews are big on their, on their fathers, their prophets. They're big on that. You know, we are too, but they are even more so. Because it hits home to them at a different level. But uh, God has spoken throughout the ages, and God has spoken to their fathers by the prophets. That's all Old Testament, right? Verse 2. Has, God has now spoken in these last days, New, New Testament, to us by his Son. Whom, he's talking about the Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made the world. Who, he's talking about Jesus still, being the brightness of God's glory, the Father's glory, an express image of God's person. Jesus is an express image of the Father. Okay? And this Jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power. He started off by saying, don't get dizzy on me, but I'm going to go back and forth a couple times here. 
He's been, God's been speaking throughout the ages to the prophet. He's now speaking to us by his son. And this word that he is speaking upholds all things. Do you follow me so far? God's speaking. That's the context. That's what he's talking about. But this word that he's speaking to us by his son is upholding all things. And it's this word that he's speaking is when he hath by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty and height. That's the gospel. That's the finished work of the cross. That's where he who knew no sin <coughs> became sin, purged our sins, and he sat down. He said that it says in Romans 4:25 that he was raised, resurrected for our justification. He was raised for our righteousness. If, uh, there's a lot of scripture I could tie into everything that's being said here. But God has spoken to us many times through various ways through the prophets in the Old Testament. But now in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. If you read the prophets, and you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, other prophets, in the Psalms and other places, they're all speaking to us in various manners and various ways, but they're all speaking to us towards the same word that God is now speaking to us by His Son. All Scripture, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God is speaking, and I'm going to bring some other Scriptures to bring this out, but to me this is powerful, that if this word, it's a very specific word. It's not just any word. For God is upholding all things by His word. When He has by Himself purged our sins and sat down the right hand of God. It's the finished work of the cross. It's the gospel that is upholding all things. If the gospel wasn't true, then everything would turn to goo. Everything would fall apart. Every atom, every molecule, everything God created, the universe, our bodies, the, even the elements that created the the chairs and the couches that you're sitting on are the devices that we're using, the, the live stream. Everything God created was created by the power of his word. When he himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty and high. That's, to me, that's profound. If the gospel wasn't true, if this righteousness wasn't true, because the gospel rebuilds the righteousness of God, then everything we know, everything we are, we fall apart. God's upholding everything by the power of His Word when He Himself purged our sins. To me, that is profound. I love that. Because that not only, not only is it powerful, but it gives me, I can put my faith in His Word that my, I am right with God because He's purged my sins. And the fact that He purged my sins is that Word that He upholds all things. And that's the message that God has been speaking throughout God has been speaking throughout the ages and is now speaking to us by his son. That's the message God's speaking to us. That's profound. Am I making sense? I'm talking about how all test all scripture is giving testimony to this message. Okay? Let's go to another scripture here, here real quick. Uh, we went to 2 Corinthians last week, but I'm not going to go there again today. Let's go to John 5.39. I think I ended here last week. It says, 
He's talking to the religious leaders, okay? He's talking to the law keepers, the religious leaders, the legalistic leaders, okay? They're, the, legal, the, the, the religious leaders were focused on the law. But he says, you search the scriptures. This is Jesus talking. For in them, or by keeping them, you think you have eternal life. And these, these scriptures, they are which testify of who? Me. These scriptures give witness, they testify of Jesus. It's not by, by the deed of the law, no flesh can be justified. That's what we started off with in Romans 3, 20, verse 20. We, are not, we don't have eternal life because we keep the scriptures. We have eternal life because of Jesus. Amen? And these scriptures don't tell you how to get your own life together on your own merit. They teach you how to turn to Jesus who can set you free and give you a new life. that make sense? These scriptures, he says, you think... Actually, I need to back up real quick. I do, I do need to go to 2 Corinthians. I'll come right back here, hopefully. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. I'm, I don't want to reteach all this again. I don't have time for that this morning, hopefully. But... I know we forget a lot of things when a whole week passes by. I know I do. I don't even know what I talked about yesterday. Or even this morning already. Okay? But, but again, Paul's talking, he's comparing the ministry of the, of, of the law, the glory of the law, with the ministry of righteousness and, and, and the spirit. And he says, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the old reading of that Old Testament, that scripture, that's Old Testament, the law of the prophets, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses, that's the Old Testament, the law is read, a veil lies on the heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with an unveiled face, how do we get an unveiled face? We get an unveiled face by turning to the Lord. That's what the, that's what the bell. And what's the bell doing? The bell is blinding our minds. There's a blinder. There's a deception. There's a delusion. When, we, when we're basing our righteousness on what we do versus what he's done, there's a veil that lays on our hearts. Because the Old Testament, and a lot of, there's a lot of performance in here. A lot of uh, legalism in here. Nevertheless, there's a glory to it. The law is holy. The law is good. But you can't become holy and good because you keep the law. You can only become holy and good when, 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 you, uh, when you turn to Jesus who fulfilled the law. That make sense? And, and he also says here, that, uh, back up a little bit, he says, uh, the law, he's talking about the law. I don't have to read it. Sorry, we don't count it. The law it was glorious. But what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that... Uh, uh, that's not what I want. For the ministry of condemnation had glory, and he's talking about the law. If the ministry of condemnation had the law had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. He's making a comparison. If you read with the whole context, he's comparing the glory of the Old Testament with the glory of the New. Okay? The, we're not saying the Old Testament didn't have glory. It had glory. It's holy. It's good. But it points to Jesus. It points that we need a Savior. It doesn't point to you to keep the law so you become holy on your own merit. 
without, by the deeds of law, no flesh can be justified. But now the righteousness of God, the ministry of righteousness, is manifested, being witnessed by the law. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Don't get this so, but if we focus our righteousness based on what we do, there's a blinder over our minds. It's called veil. The only way to remove that veil, which I also call religion, is by turning to Jesus. And when we turn to Jesus, there is freedom. There's freedom in the ministry of righteousness. There's freedom in the, in the ministry of the Spirit. It's not freedom to sin. It's not freedom to go back into the same vomit and bondage that we just got out of. It's freedom from sin. We awake to righteousness and sin not. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. It's freedom to live for God, not live away from God. It's, it's freedom. It's not freedom to be in sin. <coughs> it's freedom from sin. We walk in... How do you get free from sin? You don't get free from sin by trying to control your flesh. You walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It says in Galatians 5.16. Freedom is in the Spirit. It's not in the flesh. It's not in religion. It's in Christ. It's in the ministry of the Spirit. It's in the ministry of righteousness. There is liberty. <coughs> but we all, with our unfelt face, we're going to talk about this next week, are beholding. We're going to spend some time on beholding as we wrap this up next week. Beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. We're supposed to be seen in the mirror, the mirror of God's word. The mirror is a reflective device when we see ourselves through the eyes of, with an unveiled face, not through the lens of the Old Testament, but through the lens of Christ, the lens of Jesus. Because how is the veil removed? When we see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, there is liberty, and this liberty means that our faith is not blinded anymore from seeing the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not free to sin, free from sin. Because we're now seeing in the mind, we're now beholding in the mirror of God's word. We're seeing ourselves in the mirror of God's word, his glory, not our glory. For I am crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Paul says, he'll go on to say in chapter 5, we know no man of the flesh. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the glory, when we see his glory, not our glory, we will be transformed. Metamorphosis. Where we get the word metamorphosis. Right now we're entering the springtime where we're going to see a lot of butterflies. From caterpillars to butterflies. That's metamorphosis. We are transformed from the old man to the new man in Christ Jesus. But we need to see it. We need to behold it. And when we do, and when we do we're going to live from... We're going to be transformed from glory, from the glory of the old covenant to the glory of the new covenant. That's what he's talking about. He's comparing glory for glory. Just by, and how we do this? By the Spirit of the Lord. We walk in the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness. But he goes on to say, therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? He just called it the ministry of righteousness. He just called it the ministry of his Spirit. As we have received mercy. It's not because of the way that we did, it's because of mercy. We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. We're not free to sit to continue to be shameful. We're free from shame. Not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but, the, but by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, 
whose mind the God of this age, Satan, it's lower G, not capital G, the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Why did I spend time reading all this? Because I want to go back to John 3, uh, John 5, 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. We think with the mind, don't we? The Old Testament is a blind, the enemy wants to blind our minds. We just finished talking about it the last couple of weeks about how the same way that the enemy beguiles Eve, so our minds can be corrupted by the simplicity that's in Christ. Satan will use scripture to pollute our minds because we think that we need to keep them, we need to merit them, we need to earn it. That is a deception. That is a blinder. That is what Paul is warning us about throughout all his letters. He does it in different ways, and some church, some letters are a little more firm. But we, Jesus is telling the religious leaders here, you think you have eternal life because you keep the scriptures, self-righteousness. No! It's, you only have eternal life because they testify of me. When you, when you have Jesus, when you turn to Jesus, the vow is removed. When you turn to Jesus, I, when you realize I'm crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. If there's anything good in me, it's because of Jesus. They, the scriptures don't testify of what you need to do. The scriptures testify of what Jesus has done for you and what to do in you and through you. By the power of his spirit. By the power of his son. By the power of God. Not by your own flesh. That making sense. But the scriptures, and we're talking about, give this testimony. If we read and understand the scriptures correctly, they will always testify to Jesus. Always. If our interpretation of scripture does not give testimony to Jesus, then we have misinterpreted the scriptures. That makes sense? I try to profound. And these scriptures is what God is upholding all things. Go with me to Luke chapter 24. And this is, I love this passage of scripture. We're going to do a little bit of reading here. This is known as the road to Emmaus. Luke 24 is after the resurrection, is after the cross, is after the resurrection. And Jesus has been resurrected, but some of his disciples have not realized it yet. They have not come to, come to terms that Jesus has been resurrected. And because Jesus had been crucified, and they didn't, and they, they didn't have a revelation that he'd been resurrected, yet they're mourning. <coughs> their hero, their leader, their master had died. And they didn't have a revelation yet about him being resurrected. And so they're in mourning. So there's two disciples. It doesn't tell us who they are. We, have our spec we can have our speculations who they are. But it's besides the point. There's two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And they're walking with Jesus, but they don't realize it's Jesus. Okay? Their eyes have not been opened. And we're going to pick it up right here, verse 16. Luke 24, 16. But with their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. 
okay? So they don't recognize it was Jesus that they're talking with. But here's Jesus, but nonetheless, Jesus is talking with them. He's walking with them. And he, Jesus, said to them, verse 17, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Verse 18, then the one whose name was, well, pass, sorry, I, my mind, I had a mind freeze there, answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which happened there in these days? He's like, where have you been? And I was like, World War III just happened to me. Where have you been? Uh, anyway, verse 19, that's just David allergy there. And he said to them, what things? And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, a mighty, a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Verse 24. And, cert and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Verse 25. Then he said to them, so Jesus is talking now. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets of the Old Testament have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? In verse 27. And this is the verse I really want to get to. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. I don't know about you, but that would be one conversation I would love to have on DVD. <laughs> Jesus, after the resurrection, he's talking to these two disciples. And he begins at Moses and all the prophets. So he, all the scriptures between Moses and Malachi, he expounded to them all the scriptures. All means all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And I have, this is just me, my speculation talking, but I have a feeling he didn't miss one scripture that talked about him. And there's probably scriptures, we know a lot of them. We can study a lot of them. We can Google a lot of them. But I'm sure there's some that we don't, and we still haven't got a revelation on he's being brought those out. That makes sense? And so, I mean, in other words, again, I'm talking about how all scripture gives testimony to Jesus. And Jesus is explaining to his own disciples who, up to this time, have not gotten a revelation of what the cross was all about, what the resurrection was all about. Even what Jesus was all about. They had a, their own preconceived ideas of what he was going to do as far as even what the kingdom of God was all about. They were thinking natural, not spiritual. Yes, we're going to see in one day his kingdom literally being on the earth uh, when he comes again. But that's, but right now it's a spiritual kingdom and the kingdom of God is within us. But they, don't let, they didn't know that yet. And that's another message I'm not going to go into. But again, he, I just love this. I mean, I can read this over and over again and I get the same feeling every time. 
But at, he began at Moses, then the prophets, and he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. And then let's read some more here. And then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he, had, he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he, he went to the end to stay with them. Verse 30. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he, bread, he, he took bread, blessed, and broke it. When's the last time he did that? Communion. That's about our last Passover. And he gave it to them. And when he had done this, when he had taken this bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. I mean, that, that, that's got to be a little, little trippy, you know, a little, little, uh, that, the whole vanishing part. <laughs> but their eyes were opened specifically. Now, I'm not teaching on this this morning so much, but communion, the, the, the Lord's table is a table of a remembrance. We remember that his body was broken for us and his covenant blood that was poured out for us. But it was at this table of remembrance that when Jesus broke the bread, that their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then he vanished um, physically from their sight. But then they said this, verse 32, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us. I just love this. The heart's burning with him. I can tie this burning sensation. Uh, Jeremiah talks about it three different times in Jeremiah. Where the, the word was burning in their hearts. That's another message. I'm not going to spend time on that. It's a beautiful, powerful message. I just know when I preach, when I teach, and when I, even when I want to convey scripture, there's a burning in my heart. I want to convey that to people. There's, the word of God burns in my heart. Not just in ministry, but also in my own heart for my own life. There's a burning of the scriptures. But I want to scroll down. Or actually, let's read some more. And so they rose up the very hour, that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they went back on the road to Maeus, the other way, and found the other eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, and saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Again, they're they very specific here. He was known to them in the breaking of bread. That's how the, it was this table of remembrance. And, you know, when, they ha when he broke bread, gave it to them, at that moment their eyes were open and he vanished. Well, right when they get to the story, if they're sharing the whole story, right when they get to this specific part about the breaking of bread and he's known to them, last time he vanished, this time he appears. <laughs> I mean, there's something about this bread that he, either he, he vanishes or he shows up. He's like, anyway... Uh, I, I, I just a little side note for me. Now, as they said these things, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be near you. I mean, I know he's saying peace, and he, he says this a lot, but the way he does it sometimes just, <laughs> just seems like a little oxymoron. You know, it's a little, a little, it can be a little trippy. I mean, someone just shows up in the middle of the room, Peace be to you. You know, you're already freaked out because he just showed up the way he did. Anyway, that's just a little bit of me. It has nothing to do with nothing. Okay? Verse 37. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a, a spirit. Well, I think we would too. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. 
For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you have see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they did not believe, but while they still did not believe, with joy and marvel, he said to them, Have you any food? Here. And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. But now I want to get to verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. There's scripture again, there's Old Testament, concerning and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. I believe God wants us to, our understanding be opened so we can comprehend the scriptures. But again, I, I, there's a lot here. I can get a lot of rapid trails of different things. But God wrote the scriptures. This is a long version of that concerning Jesus. They testify of Jesus. That makes sense? These things were fulfilled. God, Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. He fulfilled it. He, he did this so we uh, would know him. Go with me to a couple more scriptures real quick and I'm going to tie this all together. Uh, go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll start with verses 3 and 4. Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, For I deliver to you, first of all, <clears throat> this is Paul speaking, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Are you seeing the thread here? I'm making one major point throughout everything I'm teaching right now. The scriptures give testimony to this. But while we're here, let's go down to verse 13 real quick. <clears throat> he says, and he's, he's, making a, he's making a case here. And Paul says, but if there's no resurrection of the dead and Christ is unrisen. He, there's an argument about the resurrection of the dead. He's making an argument. Verse 14, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. Because a lot of people didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But Paul saying, verse 16, For the dead do not rise and Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Explanation mark. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. I guess I'm, you know, let me just pause here for a moment. Yes, I'm emphasizing that, I just, because I made a statement not too long ago, that yes, we are going to, Christ, we are going to be with Christ forever and eternity. And that is glorious. I'm not trying to water that down in one shape or form. But there's a life to live now. But I'm also not just teaching there's a life to live now, there's not a life to come. Christ is risen. Because he makes a statement here in verse 19, if, only, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most, most pitiful, or most miserable. This is in 
than regular King James. It's not just about this life. It is about the life to come. But it's also not just about the life to come. It's about this life too. That makes sense? I'm trying to, I'm trying to include both. I guess, and this is just me talking, all my life growing up, I was always talking about eternal life being when Jesus comes. And I'm not trying to water that down because if it's all about this life, then yes, we are all men most miserable because there's no hope. But, but, but there is hope. Christ is risen. But at the same point in time, I'd also believe that we don't just have to wait until eternity to enjoy some of the things that we can be experiencing now. That makes sense. We're not going to receive it in, the, in, in all its fullness completely because we don't have a new heaven, new earth. We don't have a new body and all that stuff. But we can't experience the salvation, eternal life, a relationship with God now. We can experience healing now. We're going to experience healing later, but we won't need to be healed because we'll be healed. And, and there's no going back. But here, we are still, uh, there's still things on the earth that we need to be healed from. There's still things that we need to be delivered from. There won't need, we don't need deliverance then, because we'll be delivered once and for all. But there are things that are still happening in this earth that we, but we can experience it now. Adam didn't experience any sickness or things before the fall. But the fall didn't happen. Christ reversed that so we can experience it now, but we can still get exposed to different things in this world that we need to be delivered and healed and saved from. That makes sense. But there's coming a day... When, where, where there will be no sin whatsoever, and that's the greatest thing about heaven, is that God is there, the devil is not, sin is not, God's there, and, and, and we don't need to be delivered. But we need, to, we need not only to receive salvation now so we can experience that then, but we can also experience salvation now. That makes sense? Verse 20, though. But now, and when's now? Now is now. Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For that in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Christ is risen from the dead. Just not make the point, but since we're here, I thought I would bring this out. Go with me uh, real quick to... Let's go back to 2 Timothy 3. I say back because we've been here before. I quoted it this morning, but it, and actually that's 2 Timothy 3, but let's start with uh, verse 14. We always focus on verse 16 and 17, but let's read a little more context here, starting with verse 14. Okay. Now, keep in mind who Paul's writing to. I always do, especially with Timothy and Titus. Timothy and Titus are young pastors. They're young apprentices. He's training these young men how to teach others. He's teaching them, but he's also teaching them how to teach others. Because they're leaders, they're pastors. That makes sense? And he's telling Timothy, he, Timothy's almost like his spiritual son to him. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of knowing from whom you have learned that. Verse 15. And that from childhood, he's talking to young Timothy, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which in Christ is in Christ Jesus. Paul's telling Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned. What did he learn? 
the scriptures. From a child, as a child, by his grandmother, I think it's Lois, is her name, but his gran grandmother has taught her him the scriptures. And he, and he was taught continuing those things. These scriptures will can allow you to make you wise for salvation. You show me someone who's been in the scriptures. Whether it be Terrence, our own Bible classes, and different things that we have. You show me someone who's uh, been, been diligent, faithful to show themselves approved. Someone who's been faithful in the Word of God. And I know we're at different levels because we have different diets of the Word of God. And, and, and sometimes different understandings, and sometimes there's uh, some other, other factors involved. But you show me someone who, who is, I can tell the maturity, the growth of someone who's been in the Word. Versus someone that's just every Sunday, or and it's not just a, a quantity, but it's a quality of teaching and learning. That makes sense? And I can tell you someone who's not grounded in the Word of God, and I can tell you, there's, I know there's different levels, but I, 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 what I'm talking about is maturity, because the Scriptures will make you wise for salvation. Let me use our example. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church. I went to Bible college before. But then in 2013, we went to Bible college. I went to Bible college again. She went for the first time to Karis Bible College through Andrew Womack Ministries. And during that time, for three years, we were going four days a week, four hours a day, 16 hours a week total. That's more church than most people get. We had teaching. We had good fellowship. We had worship. Uh, but the main component was teaching. But we had that other elements too. We were having church four days a week. And just, just in that environment, I'm not talking about other things that we were exposed to. But in 16 hours a week, we were growing. Andrew Womack has a teaching called Effortless Change. There's an effort to get into the Word of God, but your life will change effortlessly if you abide in Him and His Word abides in you. It will, I, I see people rise, and if those that we are connected with, that we see in regular Bible studies and teachings and church and whatnot, and regular I see a wisdom growing. It will make you wise. Now, again, we're at different levels and we don't understand everything, but there's a growth. But I can, I can also be around other people who they don't have a good diet and don't have a good diet of the scriptures. They're not learning. They're not, they're, they're not on, a, on a growth path, path. And we have a couple of classes from Dwayne Sheriff and, and Lawson Purdue along these matters, especially Dwayne Sheriff in our Bible classes, about um, growth because we want to mature. And our, as pastors, our, our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, but that, there's a growth here. So we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of God, to the perfect man, to the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our job, is to help grow you in Christ. But we're just m making the channel. We're just making things available. But it's the scriptures that make you wise. We don't make you wise. God does. His scriptures does. We just provide the channels that make, enable that to happen. That makes sense? And so, I'm not trying to highlight us or our Bible classes. I'm just I'm trying to highlight Scripture. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's possible for to be indoctrinated in righteousness, to be reproved in righteousness, to be corrected in righteousness, or trained in righteousness, and instructed in righteousness. So that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every good work. Whatever that might be. Whether it's your job. Whether it's in the ministry. Whether it's being a parent. A grandparent. Or just a member of society. I want my job. Or our job. Our prayer. Is that you would be complete. And fully equipped for every good work. And how do you do that? Through scripture. 
It will make you wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. Not in me. Not in a denomination. Not in a pastor. Not in Andrew Womack. Praise God for these people. But it's with these people. Because if all scripture points you to Christ, everyone who teaches scripture and their ministry should point you to Christ, not themselves. That makes sense? And that, that's our heart. But all scripture. Go with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, and we'll pick it up verse 25, so just turn to the end of Romans, it's the last three verses that we're going to go to. Paul is going to, his, and his benediction of this uh, letter. How many of you love the book of Romans? Well, this is his benediction. I know there's a lot here. It's a big letter to chew on. But he's, this is his benediction. And he says this, beginning with verse 25. Now to him, God, Christ, who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Our, the title of this teaching is to be established in, in righteousness. He's using gospel, but he's talking about the gospel of Christ. He's just making it personal. So don't get... Don't get messed up with that. According to my gospel, at least it's the gospel that Paul is preaching. Okay, It's not the gospel of Paul, it's the gospel of Christ. Okay? But he is taking ownership of the gospel he's preaching. Okay? According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began. It was a mystery to the, in the Old Testament, and it's a mystery to those who are not saved. But this mystery is Christ and us, the hope of glory, it says in Colossians. Okay? If, if you are in Christ and you are being wise into salvation because you're a student of the word, this mystery will no longer be a mystery to you. It's a mystery to the world. It's a mystery to those who have not been trained by it. And it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? But it's kept, and it was kept secret, but now in Christ it's revealed. I don't... Uh, I'll talk about this maybe later in the year, but it's not a mystery to us. It was a mystery. Okay? But now, here's that phrase, it keeps coming up. But now, and when's now? Now? But now, it was a mystery, said the word, but now it's made manifest. It was a mystery, but now it's manifested. And by, and, and, okay, let me, I want, I'm just trying to tie this scripture together. He says, I want you to be established by the preaching of Christ, his gospel. I want you to be established in his gospel by the preaching of Christ according to the revelation of this mystery that is now manifested by the prophetic scripture. Are you getting that? Uh, sometimes there's a lot of wording here. Sometimes we can miss this. But let me say this again. Paul is praying. The reason Paul wrote this book of Romans and other letters he wrote. He wants you to be established in the gospel of Christ according to the revelation that is made manifested now by the prophetic scripture. He's talking about the Old Testament. Made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith. To God alone be wise and glorious through Jesus. 
There's a lot being said here, and I'm hoping you, I'm just trying to make one major point again, is that all scripture gives testimony to this, the manifestation of righteousness, the manifestation of this gospel that reveals the righteousness of God, that we are supposed to be experiencing now. And, but we don't, we will never see the manifestation if we never know the mystery of the scripture. And how are we going to know the mystery of the scripture until we let God, through the word of God, through teaching, through the preaching of Christ, reveal it to us. That makes sense. Ultimately, it's the spirit of God who's going to reveal it to us, not man. I can't reveal it to you. I can, I can, I can, I can teach it. I can uh, lay the foundation for it. I can create the atmosphere for that. And I can share the scripture. But it's only by the spirit of God that you can get the revelation. Make sense? When when Jesus asked asked disciples, uh, "Who do you say I am?" and Peter had the revelation that you are the Christ, Jesus made a comment: "This is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Spirit." I'm paraphrasing that. I don't know if you've ever been in a message like here or some, another church or another minister, and all of a sudden in the middle of, or even in your own Bible study, your private devotions, or maybe even in a dream in the middle of the night while you're driving down the road, you finally get a revelation of something. And that's the Holy Spirit working. But he uses, he, the, 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 uh, the Holy Spirit will always bring the scriptures. He will always help us understand the scriptures. Even the New Testament, I'm now including the New Testament. He'll make us understand the word of God. He, uh, uh, he's the teacher. He's the comforter. He's the counselor. He's... It was all inspired by him to begin with. But he's the one that helped us. And when I don't understand something in Scripture, I know it's true, but I don't... I'm asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, reveal it to me. Open my eyes to see. Show me where I'm not missing it. And sometimes he'll show me in my own teach, in my own study. Sometimes he'll bring someone else along, along that will help me bring clarity and understanding to that particular Scripture. And they just have a gift of teaching, at least in that Scripture. I'm making sense. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to reveal it. My main point I'm trying to be is that God wants us to become established in the gospel. He wants to become established in righteousness. That's what we're talking about, this whole teaching. But God will use the scriptures to do that, to bring testimony. There's this righteousness that we're supposed to be experiencing now. Let me go back to where we were. We're in Romans 16, but let's go back to Romans 3 real quick. Ha, ha, ha. When we started this whole discussion, I got to talk through the King James because I have my highlights there. It says, "But now, the righteous of God." Remember, we were in Romans chapter three here. We were just in Romans chapter sixteen, but in Romans chapter one, the very first chapter, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So this righteousness is revealed by. By the gospel, by the scriptures, without the law, but it's manifested now, and it's given testimony by the scriptures, by the law of Christ. In other words, when you see the gospel, which is the New Testament, Christ, and the gospel, if I go, if I go back to you real quick, I, I know I'm going through a lot of scriptures right now, but in Second Corinthians four, verse four. It says, 
And uh, I mean, Todd would be the King James because I like my highlights better. But the gospel is not an it. It's not the ink. It's a who. The gospel is Christ. The gospel is the word of God. And I want to be established in Christ. I don't want to be established in so much a teaching, a doctrine. I want to be established in Christ. But let that doctrine establish me in Christ. My, if you go back to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, and just toggling here, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to connect some dots here. So hopefully I'm not confusing you more. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is possible for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God's my righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. I have put on the, tr the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is not just a doctrine, but I need to be indoctrinated in righteousness. Righteousness is a person, but I need to be indoctrinated in Christ. I want to be reproved in Christ. I want to be trained or corrected in Christ. I want to be instructed in Christ, who is my righteousness. So that I can be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good. But God will use all scripture, because scripture is not the ink. Scripture is a person. His name is Jesus. God will use all of Jesus, not just part of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want all of him. I want all that he has. I want his fullness. And as this fullness we have received from grace to grace. I want to be transformed because I'm beholding his glory in the mirror. The mirror is God's word. James talks about the word of God as a mirror. I want all scripture. And, I, and so as I'm reading scripture, I'm not just reading scripture to read scripture. I'm reading scripture to be indoctrinated, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness. I'm reading scripture because they testify of Jesus. I'm reading scripture because I want to be established in his gospel. And I want to see the mystery. I'm reading scripture because God upholds all things by the power of this word. And when he himself purged our sin, I'm reading scripture because I want to see Jesus. I want his word to burn in my heart like it did with the two disciples. And I want my eyes to be open so I know him and I can see the scripture. I want to be no scripture because I want to be established in this gospel and know who I am. And once I know who I am and established, now I can start living. And we're going to spend next week uh, talking about beholding. That's, that's the title of my sixth section is Beholding. There's, the word behold means to see with the mind. But whatever we're focused on, whatever we're beholding, as a man thinketh, so is he. And what we're seeing will determine what direction our life is going to go. Andrew calls it the, the imagination. Uh, and I, I, can go, I can go that route too. But uh, uh, behold, I'm going to bring out a lot of scriptures in the New Testament specifically that talks about how what we need to behold. In other words, there's something I need to be focused on. There's something, if I'm focused on something, I'm not focused on something else. But there's something very specific I need to be beholding. And I need to keep my gaze on there. I need to keep my focus on there. Whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. Whether I'm going through the fire or whether it's a nice bright sunshiny day. I need to keep my focus on Jesus. I need to keep my focus on who I am in Christ. And and because again, everything else will try to get me off track. Everything else will try to shipwreck my faith. Everything else will get me off focus. This is the foundation, but everything else will try to get me off that foundation. And everything else is sinking sand. 
but I need to focus on Jesus. He's my cornerstone. He's my rock. But I need to focus on him. And evident the enemy's going to try to do is trying to, going to try to corrupt my, my mind from the simplicity that's in Christ. He's going to try to deceive me. He's going to try to put a veil over my, my mind. He's going to try to get me focused on different things or my inadequacies. And he's going to try to get my focus on the flesh. But my focus needs to be on Jesus and what Jesus says I am in him. And it's very powerful. All the enemy has to do is get our focus on the wrong thing. And we are crybaby. <laughs> we're, 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 we, we fall apart. Because all things are upheld by the power of his word. And we come out from the shelter of being upheld by the power of his word. We, like everything else, will be turned to goo. He upholds all things by the power of his word. And when we come out from the protection and the foundation of being upheld ourselves by the power of his word, we fall apart. Just like everything else will fall apart. It's not as catastrophic as everything else falling apart, but our life is falling apart. Our emotions are falling apart. Our world is falling apart. Our, our reality, as some people call it, is falling apart. But I want my reality to be his reality. And when my reality comes in alignment with what is true, well, I'm going to be transformed. I'm going to see things happen. My faith in him is going to activate, and I'm going to see things happen. I'm going to see the the the... the my, when I lay hands on the sick, they recover. I'm going to see the dead being right. I'm going to see things happen because I'm beholding what's true and I'm focused on true. And that is consuming my mind and my emotions and everything I am because I'm planted, I'm rooted, I'm grounded, I'm established in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm not putting my faith in me. I'm not putting my faith in anyone else. I'm not putting my faith in Andrew Womack or anyone else. Or even, I lo- even though I love them, trust them, and, 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 and esteem them very highly. My trust is in Jesus Christ, my Redeemer, my Savior, my Lord. My faith is in Him, not me. Because even the best of me is, is, doesn't even come close to the, 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 who I am in Christ. But I need to behold that. And all Scripture gives testimony to that. So if I understand Scripture correctly, I can use any Scripture in a sense. And it will always point me to Jesus. If it's not pointing me to Jesus, it's not the scripture that's the problem, it's my interpretation of that scripture that's the problem. That makes sense? And so, uh, I mean, in scripture, I mean, it could be a song that's using scripture. It could be a friend who's using scripture. I mean, the enemy, we have to be careful, though. The enemy can use scripture, too. We, we see that with the temptation of Jesus. We see that in other things. Because he will twist it. But we need to know the truth ourselves. We need to be grounded in the truth ourselves. And, and so... Um, so there's a, there, we have to be careful with that. Just because it's, it, it has, it's scripture, we need to make sure the interpretation is scripture because it's going to point to Jesus. It's always going to point to Jesus. And there's a ministry of condemnation and death, which is scripture, the law. But it's condemning you, it's judging you. Ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit is also scripture. But it's pointing you what's right with you because of what Jesus did, not what's wrong with you because of what you did. There's a difference. One's the knowledge of sin. The other one is revealing your righteousness. Uh, his love. His love is revealing. We talk about that. His love is always pointing us to Christ. It's always pointing us to how much He loves us. Behold what manner, there's that word again, behold, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Because as we see Him, we'll be like Him when we see Him as He is. We need to see Him. We need to focus on Him. And that, that's really, I'm talking about a lot about being established and the importance of it, but how do we become established? And the last two messages are, are key. 
uh, the scriptures, but also what we're beholding. We guess we need to know His love. That's also important to, to be established in Him. Everything I'm trying to teach here is being established in Him, but I'm trying to give some real powerful ways. Because there's some time, I know this. I can teach it. I can write about it. I can quote scripture. I mean, it just oozes out. And I can even teach scriptures, but if I'm not believing it, if I'm not focused on it, I can teach scripture sometimes without even focus on it because I just know it so much. Uh, I, I'm just grounded in the word. I'm not trying to bust myself up. My point is, is I need to believe it. It's not just having a bunch of head knowledge. Yes, my people perish because of the lack of knowledge, but I need to believe what I teach. I need to live what I teach. Uh, and, and so I need to be taught what I teach <laughs> at times. But at times I can be in the, in the, and something comes on, a situation happens, or whatever, life happens, I get my focus on the situation. And I get my focus off of Christ and who I am in Christ. And so it's, it's not my keeping of the scripture. It's not even just my knowledge of the scripture. All that's important. All that's very essential. But it's what I believe. It's what I'm focused on. It's what I'm trusting in. It's what I'm relying on. I can know the scripture and not trust it. That makes sense? You can know it. I mean, if I give out a test and people can say true or false, yes or no, or even an essay question, they can answer all the questions correctly. But when the rubber meets the road is when we put this into practice in our lives. Are we trusting that when we lay hands on the sick, they will recover? That the dead will rise. That my God will supply all my needs. That when I ask for wisdom, he will give it to me liberally. Are we trusting God? Are we and we're not going to be, we're not going to turn to the left or to the right, but we're going to trust what God says. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it smells like. I don't care what it sounds like. But I'm going to believe God. We have story after story, David and Goliath. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have Daniel, the lion's den, Joseph. We have other stories. These were not perfect men. These were not people who had it all together. But in the moment, they trusted God. And they saw God was by faith, so-and-so, by faith, so-and-so, by faith, so-and-so. And they trusted God, not themselves. But they were beholding something. You know, if you have to have faith to build a big boat on top of a mountain where there's never been a rain cloud before. Noah spent hundreds of years building this ark because he trusted what God said. Abraham didn't consider how old his body was or how old uh, Sarah's womb was. He only considered what God said. That's beholding. That's beholding. So, Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. Lord, this is so profound. I mean, I, I want us all to get it. I want to get it again and again and again. I need to be refreshed in this myself. Lord, I, I'm not interested in just being a bunch of Bible knowledge, or even though I'm a Bible teacher and that's what I do. But it means nothing to me if I can't take what we teach and use it. Your, word, your, your kingdom is not just in word only, but also in power. We need the word. But we need to put this word into practice so we can experience the power. But we need to get our focus on and help us. Lord, I teach a lot of things, and I pray that it isn't just getting our minds, yes, our minds. We don't want to be blinded for the truth. But at the same point in time, let it get into our heart of hearts. And Lord, I help us to get such a revelation that we will never be the same. We will be so establishing 